Good morning. My name is Dr. Timothy Potts. I'll be reading from Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Thanks, Tim. Wow, what a, what a great to hear the update on uh, Tanzania. I did speak to my brother-in-law last night and, or yesterday, and uh, I know we, uh, they already have two villages picked out for next year, uh, last couple of weeks in June. Uh, would love to see a group from Mansfield Bible go. I know there's a couple of you that have expressed uh, definite interest in going. Uh, I, have to raise about, I think the cost of the trip, airfare and everything is about $4,000. And people always hear that number and then they go, oh no, I don't know that that can be done. Um, that's first thing you have to do is recognize that that's a lack of faith because God can do it. Uh, I know I went through that as well. Um, but man, would love to, love to go and see. Um, they do several things over there. Uh, my brother-in-law hasn't been involved in. God's just really opened the doors. He's been going for eight or nine years um, into these small villages. Joseph Lockie, who uh, Greg referred to, has opened those doors to just vast other opportunities. Uh, they made a connection with an orphanage there. Um, and the, the guy over the or orphanage had literally had his life threatened. He lived under death threats from some of the Muslims in the area. But they sent a team this year into that orphanage and did a bunch of work, helped with the water well and the, and the village there and a bunch of different things. And the whole attitude of the Muslim leaders in that area changed towards, uh, I believe his name was Isaac, changed towards him and as a result have really embraced him. And even since, and I don't know if you knew this yet, Greg, but since June, they were there the first couple of weeks in June, since then have actually started another church in the area. So when you talk, when Greg talked about prayer, that's one of the things that I think is really important that we understand that, you know, Greg's prayer, you know, way back in 73 and the impact that it took place, but then your prayer for Greg as he went and how God provided, we can never, as Greg said, shortchange uh, prayer in our lives and how it works in the hand of God and the things that are taking place uh, in Mansfield Bible Church and around the world. So continue to pray. Pray about going. If you're interested, you want more information, you can talk to Buckles or you can talk to myself. Uh, I, would love, I would love to see, like I said, a team to go. And, uh, and I know in the, middle of the, in the middle of the world and everything going on in our world and, and the fears and the concerns that are in the middle of the world, at the same time, God is still working. He hasn't stopped working. God has not been confined by a pandemic. God has not been confined by economical problems. God has not been confined by the fears of humanity. God is still working, God is still doing, 
incredible things. It's blown me away to talk to my brother-in-law and just hear some of those things as well, and then hearing Greg. All right, having said all that, we got a few minutes here, and I'm gonna try to wrap up this Galatians study that Jared and Matt and I started a few weeks ago in regards to the book of Galatians. So take your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter four. We've been, we've been in this book, and we're only looking at the first four chapters. In a, in a month or so, we're gonna actually look at the last two chapters, chapters five and six, and then it'll be, Buckles will join us during that time, Matt and Jared and myself and, and, and Greg. We'll also look at those last two chapters. But today I kind of want to wrap this, this book up. When we looked at it, as we began in that first chapter, we began to see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was absolutely amazed, astonished, confounded by the fact that these Galatian believers had so quickly left the gospel for a different gospel. It wasn't a different gospel. It wasn't truth. But what was going on is that we realized these Judaizers who were coming along and they were adding to the gospel. They were saying that Paul wasn't preaching the whole gospel. Paul was preaching the whole truth and that they had the, the authority and the representation of Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders that were there in Jerusalem. And so they were coming along and adding to, and the Galatians were beginning to believe this. Even though many of them were, were Gentiles, they were still beginning to believe this. So they were adding things like circumcision, and that was really one of the big things that, that the Judaizers were adding to their faith. So they didn't believe that you were saved until they entered into this Judaism and these, these laws, and, and specifically Ju uh, uh, circumcision. And Matt addressed a little bit of that in regards to the justification. And he's begun to dealt with the fact that we stand before God and we stand before him in the righteousness of Christ and that the gospel is a great equalizer, isn't it? The guy, there's never anybody you're ever going to meet that the gospel wasn't meant for. I don't care if you travel the world to the end of the, end of the world, to the very ends of it, you're going to meet people. Every time you meet somebody, the gospel was meant for them. And it doesn't matter their, their, their faith. It doesn't matter their economic status, their affluence in this world, their race. It doesn't matter. They are, they are meant for the gospel. The gospel is meant for them, that God's love would be expressed to them. And it really changes the way that we as God's people would begin to look at other people and other things and in our own lives that we would clean our hearts, right? Because the gospel is that which provides life, it provides freedom, it provides truth. It declares us righteous because of a holy God has declared us righteous. So the gospel is a powerful, powerful message that we need to begin to proclaim, and, but we have to understand it. And so we, Matt began to deal with that, some of those things in chapter two, and then, and then Jared last week, he walked into chapter three and he began to talk about this, this, this uh, uh, boy, I just went blank, darn, from uh, freedom by promise. And it actually says that back in down verse 20, 21. It, it talks about freedom by promise. And it was such an interesting statement that was grabbed out of that passage because what it does is it defines the fact that our salvation is not based on our ability to do works, but it's based on a promise that God made and promise that God ratified and declared 430 years before the law ever came that God made a promise and that the salvation comes through promise that those who by faith believe in Jesus would be saved because it's by faith. And it was a beautiful 
writing in which Paul argues this, this passage. And what's interesting is that in Paul's argumentation through the book of Galatians to this point, he's really talking about what we were and then what we are now as believers. But today in our passage, in these first few verses of chapter 4, and really all of this chapter, Paul does something a little different. Paul doesn't move from, he moves from talking about who we were and who we are from our status of who we were and who we are now in Christ. It's such an important aspect. It's just a little twist, but it's so important to understand that we were once not part of the family of God, but now that we are a part of the family of God. When I think about this aspect of of this teaching, this, this just hits my drumbeat in life. How many times I've had people repeat it to me or say it, you know, you know, how many times I say, dear people of God, you are the family of God. You are the people of God. Because I believe one of the things that we've lost in our Western culture in the church today is the understanding that we are the people of God. That we belong to him. We're not, we're not out here living as individuals in, in a religion in some way, reaching out to God. We are his people. And there's such a powerful understanding when we begin to realize that we are his people and impacts everything. It's, it's one of the key points of my own spiritual growth that when I begin to understand that I was part of the people of God, that I'm in his family, it changed the way I begin to look at everything. All of a sudden, the way I looked at his love for me, his compassion, his mercy, that it became a support and an understanding that, that, that the, literally the joy of the Lord is my strength because we're a part of his family. And so many times within the church, we forget to operate as the family of God and we operate as individuals. And we have division and we have hurt and we have pain and we have agony. And as a result of that, it, it just becomes a terrible testimony to the world, doesn't it? We live in a time where the church does not have a good reputation. Is that fair? Am I wrong? And it's because we as God's people have forgotten who we are. And the apostle Paul is addressing that with these believers in Galatians because he wants them to understand that we are his people. We are his family. We've been brought in. Psalm 100 verse 3 has become something really really close to my heart. It says this, know that the Lord, he is God. Amen? He is God. It is he who made us. Is that right? And we are his. And then it literally says this, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Man, that our God would bring us in and love us. Well, I'm, I've got a few minutes here, and so I'm going to go pretty fast. First thing here we see in verse four, chapter four, verse uh, one through three, it says, I mean, in other words, he's defining what he's just been saying in verse three. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved in the elementary principles of the world. What does he mean there? 
When I was a kid, my dad used to always have this joke with me. He says, man, when you turn 18, I'm going to break your plate. And what does that mean? That means you're cut off, man. You're on your own. You're, you're going to provide for yourself, all that. He used to joke quite a bit when I was younger about that. It was this little joke he had. And I'll never forget, on my 18th birthday, one of my best friends, he said, hey, Greg, I want to take you out for lunch. And we went and hung out. He drove, so I couldn't just say, hey, I want to go home and get in my car. He drove, and, my, and in the process, my dad and my mom had kind of planned this surprise birthday party for me. All my friends from the, from the church were coming over, and I'll never forget as we all were partying and it was having a good time, and it was time to eat. My dad had some hamburgers and hot dogs and stuff. Well, he hands me this plate, and he goes, you're the birthday boy. You get this special plate. But I'm looking at this plate and I realize it's glass. And all of a sudden, all those things my dad said to me when I was little were coming back in. So I have this eye out, right? So I'm kind of walking along and, you know, putting food on there because my dad was convinced if I put food on there, I wouldn't pull my plate away, right? And so all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see my dad reach down. I go, here it comes. Came out with a hammer. And just before he got there, I went, food fell on the floor. It didn't matter. You know, and he missed the plate. And I'm like, ah, you got to pay for another year. You know, it's like, you know, my dad never broke my plate. So technically, he's still supposed to provide for me, right? Well, in, in, in ancient world, when a young man became of age, it was a big deal. In Jude, Judaism or in Jewish culture, a lot of times it's shortly after they turned 12. In the Greek culture, it was about 18. And in the Roman culture, actually the father determined the date. And there was big ceremonies and big, big parties in regards to recognizing this. And it had a great, great influence in regards to religious as well as legal requirements that were going on in the life of the child. And so when Paul says, I mean, he's literally saying, let me put it this way. Instead of comparing this bondage that we had to the law, let me put it in a different frame of thinking. That he uses this analogy of a child coming of age who as a child, though he had the estate was his, if the father passed, he would determine like a, a guardian, he would determine a manager, someone who would look over the child and someone who would look over the, 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 the property and the financial resources of this child. And even though this estate might be great, the child was like a slave in that he had no decisions in regards how it was spent or how things were taken care of because he was under a guardian, he was under a manager. And Paul, Paul is using this same illustration of us as, as people who, before Christ, that we were under these, these kind of elementary principles of the world. And there's basically three views that are kind of used in regards to thinking this. One is thinking the Jewish law. Well, some of the problems with that is that the Gentiles were, or the Galatian believers, many of them were Gentiles, so they might not, not have necessarily been under the Jewish law, but that's potentially a possibility. Another one was some of the basic elements of its day. We kind of would think of the chemical charts, you know, the different types of elements within the chemical chart. Well, <clears throat> in those days, it was pretty small, so they usually used, had earth, wind, fire, and then they added things like sun, moon, stars, planets, those kinds of things. And if you look at some of the early religions, a lot of those were steamed from those kinds of things. Was that what Paul meant? And what's generally taken is that Paul was probably referring to this the basic religious beliefs of the day, whether they were Jewish or other faiths of the time. 
because they had at the very basic of their belief system were human. The ceremonies, the ideas behind them were generated by man, not from God. And if you think about it, I often said this in sharing my faith with others, that the one thing that always sets Christianity apart from every other belief is what? We didn't work our way to God, God reached down to us. That's the divine message in the message of the gospel, that God sent his son into our world and that through his life, he uh, fulfilled the righteous demands of the law and through his death, his very own resurrection, he provides salvation to all those who believe. That's the promise that, that Jared talked about last week and that was talked about in the earlier part of Galatians, that all, any who would believe would be set free. So there's that picture that was taking place that that message is divine, it's from God. And that's the that's picture that we were all under these, these different ideas of these elementary. In fact, the word elementary is, has, a, has the idea of kind of rank and file. It's, it's really the basic foundation or the basic ideas often used in reference to like letters in the alphabet that you begin to put these letters together and then you build sentences and you build language and it becomes to be built up and under the foundation of that, that many of these before Christ, we built our foundation, our principles of life on something other than truth than the gospel. And we were enslaved into that because none of those things provided redemption and none of them dealt with sin or death and once and for all set us free. And I love the way that Paul continues on. And I know I'm moving a little, a little quickly through here, but it's amazing this picture that he draws because one of the things that Paul does is as he talks about our status, he involves God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. He says here, he says in verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, in other words, at the right time, the estimated time when you can look at the Roman Empire opening up roadways, the Greek language was universal, you know, the ability for the gospel to go forth, we can look at those things. But at a time when the Father determined, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his son. I love that phrase, but... God. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, first 10 verses there. But God, it's like, it's like the hum history of humanity is moving along and we're, we're enslaved and we're condemned because of sin in our lives. But God stepped in. God brought life. God sent his son. But God sent forth his son. That's the, that's the message that sets apart everything else. I don't care what your training is in college and masters or doctorate. I don't care what your success has been in this world. I don't care what your accomplishments are and how much you've attained in your life. The reality is who Christ is and that God stepped in and he provided life. I've seen too many people, I've spoke to too many who have been bound by the, the pursuits of this world and came up short. I've watched people lose their families. I've watched people lose their, their relationships and come up short. I've seen people live their whole life for a pursuit only to come to the end of their life and to realize that they took the wrong path. And the path that is appropriate for which we've been created is a relationship with our God through Son, Jesus Christ. There's new life. There's new life. 
That's why you are the people of God. It's so important to understand that God intersected into the course of humanity and proclaimed himself that he might be known, that we might by faith believe and to receive him into our lives. Apart from the words of God, apart from what God has done, there would be no hope. His divine intervention brought freedom and it brought hope once and for all to all those who believe. And look what it says in verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, speaks of his humanity. Christ in this preexistent state, he is a God, he is deity, he is forever. He's everlasting, he's unlimited, he's all powerful, but God sent him, born of a woman in humanity, he was the God-man, important aspect in our understanding of theology that he was the God-man sent forth, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might fulfill the law, that he might meet its righteous demands once and for all. And then he says, to redeem those who are under the law. God sent his son for two reasons that are mentioned here. The first is that he might redeem us. The word redeem simply literally means to buy out of slavery. That there was this picture whereby we were enslaved to sin and death. And all the elementary principles of this world that we tried to accomplish, it didn't dig us out of that hole. We didn't find some way that we were kind of lifted out and somehow found the conquering of death and of sin. It held a deep hold on us. But yet God sent his son Jesus Christ, that all who would believe that promise he gave to Abraham, that promise that he made then, that he ratified that no man can change, right? Jared pounded that home last week, that no one could change that, that God made that promise that all who by promise would believe in him would receive freedom that we would be set free. It isn't just that God set us free, though, dear people of God. Look at the next phrase. He made us part of his family. I get moved every single time. It says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Um, <clears throat> I never met my birth father. Many of you have heard me share that. And at the age of four, my dad adopted me, he gave me his last name. And when I think of this, I think so much of that adoption and what my dad did, what my dad sacrificed. He was imperfect, he had a lot of problems, like I have a lot of problems. He had a lot of failures, like I have a lot of failures, like all of us in this room. None of us meet up, do we? We don't, rate, we don't meet the standard. But some of the things my dad did that has spoken to me, and when I think of this idea of being brought into the family of God, Some would teach that we actually become gods. That's a false teaching. Let me just say that point blank. We have a real popular preacher over here in Fort Worth that say that we'll become gods. That's not true. I often share about my adoption. One of the things that my dad did that's so so teaching from this and and just pounds it into my heart about the truth is that God brought me into his, uh, my dad brought me into his family. He gave me his name. He called me his son. He had children from a previous marriage, but he always called me his. I was always his. 
He was my dad. When I talk about my dad, sometimes I have to remember, oh yeah, I'm not talking about my birth father. I'm talking about the man who brought me into his family, gave me everything, taught me everything he knew, good and bad, unfortunately, sometimes. I tell my children I'm sorry, right? Because <laughs> I learned some bad things from my dad. But he brought me into my, he brought me into his family. He called me his own. I was his child. And God does the same thing, doesn't he? He brings us into his family and he called us his own. He didn't just set us free, but he made us part of his family that we walk as children of God in his family. Man, dear people of God, you should be rolling in the streets right now or the aisles or something. That should get us going, right? I mean, he brought us in, he called us his own family. Before my dad did that, I, hadn't, I didn't have a family. I didn't have a dad. I had stayed with my grandmother for a while, then I stayed with my aunt for a while, stayed with an uncle for a while during these years that my mom was having a hard time. I never forget my whole world changed when he stepped in and he said, I'm yours and you're mine. And God does the same thing when we by faith believe that. He brings us into his family. He doesn't make us gods. I had this conversation a couple weeks ago with someone who was telling me, yo, no, we become gods. And I was like, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. And I was going through the whole thing. My dad brought me into the family. My dad did this. He called me his own. He gave me an inheritance. He gave me all of these things. But the one thing my dad never gave me was his blood. But I was still his. God does the same thing. He brings us into his family. He doesn't make us gods, but he makes us children. And he calls us co-heirs with his son. That is a powerful statement, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing that Paul is telling these Galatian believers, don't walk away for a different gospel. Why? Because you're his children, you're his family. Dear people of God at Mansfield Bible Church, you are his people. You are his family. Don't forget that. That's why when you read in the scriptures, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and it talks about how we conduct our lives. We shouldn't have division. We shouldn't have hate. We shouldn't have those things that so easily grab us in the flesh. But as his children, when we understand the unity of the spirit, that there is one God, one son, one Lord, one spirit that binds and pulls all together. We need to understand the realities of that message that we are his people. He goes on and he says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. This is his spirit, Holy Spirit. He sent his spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Man, it literally is a, a, a kind of a term of a little child using of their dad. It literally means daddy. It shows the preciousness of that relationship. The spirit is given to everyone who receives Christ. Understand that. You see, we sometimes talk about the Holy Spirit and we think it's all these miraculous things, but the reality, the greatest miracle that I think that as I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen some things, is the way that God just keeps working away and changing me to be more like his son that the Spirit is working at that. The Holy Spirit emphasis is bringing the reality of the truth of who we are in Christ into a reality of experience in my life as I walk 
in Christ. Let's not make it more than what it is. It is the reality of the Spirit. There is nothing transactional in our relationship with God. Our God is not like a boss at work. You know how it works at boss at work? When you do well, he likes you, right? When you don't do well, oh, you're in trouble. You might get fired. And unfortunately, too many of us in this room think of our relationship being like that with our God, don't we? But our God's like a father, a loving father. There is nothing my children can do to change my love for them. There's nothing that we do that changes the love of God towards us. And when he sent his spirit into our lives, the spirit confirms that, that we might approach him and we call him father, our dad. And I mean that in a personal way, not in a way that's disrespectful. I meant that there's a closeness, there's a reality of us being in the family of God and that the spirit brings that about so that he's no longer like a boss at work, but that he is in this relationship personable because we're in his family and he calls us his own. In verse seven, it says, so you are no longer a slave. In other words, without any kind of say. You're not, in, you're not enslaved to sin anymore in the sense that it holds the penalty of death on you. You may die, but you will live because Christ lives. He says, but, you, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. In the Greek, the last two words in this sentence is, is the word there, through God. It's the idea of emphasis that is no longer that we look to humanity for our answers. We no longer look to ourselves for the answers. Where do we look, dear people of God? Where do we look? To God. Come on, say it out there. Where do we look? Who do we walk with? Dear people of God, he is the one that we follow. He's the one. Our confidence then becomes in him, not looking to ourselves, but looking to God. Because by God sending his son to die on the cross in his resurrection, he brought the ability whereby we stand in the righteousness of Christ. But sending his Holy Spirit to live within us brings it to a reality in how we experience life. You see that? God didn't just save us to set us free. He saved us and brought us into this world to be a part of his family. Man, I went through that kind of fast, didn't I? I sure wish I had a couple hours there. <laughs> Maybe we can order out for lunch. <laughs> Don't forget who you are. When you walk out of this room today, yeah, I know, your name will be the same. The pressures of life will hit you as soon as you hit that car. Maybe it's relational. There's relational issues in your life. Maybe there's work issues in your life. Maybe there's burdens of debt. Maybe there's burdens of, of commitment. I don't know what they are, God does. Maybe there's health issues that you're facing, caring for a parent or a loved one. But you're the family of God. He will see you through. And it doesn't matter all of those things. He is still good 
and he loves you and you are precious to him because he is our father. And when God brought us into his family, he did it and sending his son and sending forth the spirit that keeps us till that day. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, speak to us, your people. May, Father, your people hear today and remember that we belong to you. We are yours. You are God. You made us. You breathed life into our nostrils. You gave us, Father, the strength to walk in the righteousness of Christ. We are the sheep of your pasture. Father, I pray your spirit today will speak to us. Some of us have been wandering and forgetting who we are, Father, and we've been holding grudges. We've been angry with others. Some of us, Father, we've gotten distracted with the cares of this world and the, and the difficulties that we face. Some of us, Father, were just overwhelmed or crushed by the burdens of life. And we need to be strengthened. God, strengthen us. Unite us. Let us not be divided by the, all the things that are going on around us, but let us be unified in the spirit that you have indwelt within us, that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. To you be the glory. Amen.